Welcome to Lawmen, a podcast about local legends and obscure curiosities from days of yore. I'm Alistair Beckett-King. And I'm James Shakeshaft. And in this episode, it's Ghosts, Ghosts, Ghosts. Whoa. A neon sign. Late night ghost show. Live ghosts. No, doesn't make any sense. Am I in the blacklight district? I was I was picturing you in a sort of ghost Soho. Uh, a sort of a so... Ooh. <laughs> so, presented for your consideration, James, I give you... The Tale of the Three Ghosts. Three separate tales, three separate ghosts. Quite pedantic there, James. I recently came across a book called The Haunted Homes and Family Traditions of Great Britain by John Ingram. Oh, that sounds right up our street. It is Bang up your alley. Wedged in there. Was John Ingram... Was he and Are You Being Served? That's John Inman. Ah, close. This book was published in 1897. Probably not the same bloke, then. Not, it's a different century, different name. Yeah. So, But apart from that, both called John, so <laughs> a lot in common. Yeah, I'd say it's probably not the same person. He published what he called a collection of strange stories. Not, and I'm quoting here, not with a view of creating un frisson nouveau. What's that? A, a new frisson. <laughs> it's French for new frisson. <laughs> Which would be a type of haircut, I guess. Like a blue rinse or a perm. It sounds like a sort of a portable food cooler. A frisson. Yeah. Uh, he didn't compile them with a view to creating a frisson nouveau, but to serve as a guide to the geography of Ghostland. Ooh. He goes on to say, most people have heard of the demon of Tedworth and the Lord Littleton ghost story. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. We've all heard of the Lord Littleton ghost story in The Demon of Tedworth. Yeah. But he tries to comprehensively provide basically a handbook to the haunted houses of Great Britain. And he invites you into his psychomantium. Oh, God. Didn't know what that was either. That sounds like a made-up metal from the Marvel Universe. His arms are made of psychomantium! (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It's actually a darkened room with a mirror positioned so that it reflects nothing. (laughs) Face down on the floor. (laughs) Yeah, there's really no position in which a mirror reflects nothing. And that's a room you would sit in to communicate with uh, the spirit world. Quick mirror-based sidebar. There's a very funny Twitter account called People Selling Mirrors. Highly recommend it. It's just pictures of people who are selling mirrors online. It's very difficult to take a picture of a mirror. What I do is I pick up the mirror and then photograph myself in a mirror holding the mirror that's sort of what some people do but then some people sort of try and hide behind curtains so you just got a picture of a curtain (laughs) with a phone sticking out (laughs) and some people take a picture and it's just their shins that's pretty much the experience of being in a psychomantium then (laughs) yeah very sinister yeah uncanny unheimlich this ingram fella sounds like he's way ahead of the times he's basically invented our podcast and one of my favorite twitter accounts yep i went through this book and it's got uh a ton of ghosts. So I thought I would pick out three three schoolboy ghosts. Oh. Not always of schoolboys, but three ghosts that were connected to schoolboys. Uh, okay. Just to present the ghosts in a thematically coherent way. Not uh, ghosts that make schoolboy errors. Well, some of them do. Some of the ghosts really slip up. Do they do a shit and they haven't put any holes in for eyes? <laughs> schoolboy error. Look, I don't think you're ready for quite how spooky these ghosts are going to be. I want you to know that at any point... You can say, whoa, that's too spooky. Oh, really? And I will tone it back. Okay. In case it gets too spooky. 
for you. Should, it's quite a nice summery day when we're recording this. Should I mentally take myself into my mind psychomantium? Yeah, exactly. Get into your psychomantium, please. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or cupboard. Get behind the curtain of your imagination with just your little phone sticking out. A cupboard with, with a mirror turned to face the wall. Yep. I'm in. The first ghost I'm going to tell you about takes place in Beeminster in Dorset. Blue in love too, because I also like bees. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds, if anything, like a church made by bees. Yeah, yeah this bee is a vicar. Uh, we all know <laughs> bees can make churches. <laughs> in 1728, on June the 22nd, 12 boys were larking about. How many boys? 12, the spookiest number. No, 13 would be the spookiest number, but perhaps a 13th was about to join the party. Mm-hmm. So 12 boys larking about, messing around in the, in the, the old schoolyard. Mm. And they heard like a big banging sound seeming to come from within the church like someone banging on a copper pot and they all went to see what it was and then they couldn't find anything and they just went back to playing they weren't really that bothered mm. and then one of them remembered that he'd left his book in the school mm. so all 12 of them you know what boys are like piled in yeah and when they opened the door to the school <laughs> that was meant to be a sound of a door opening but it kind of came out stoke dying but it was meant to be <laughs> yeah. a door creaking open <laughs> They saw sitting on one of the benches mm. a coffin. What? A child's coffin was sitting on one of the benches. Oh. And they pushed the door further open. <laughs> that starts nearly dead now. Yeah. And they saw a little boy. Not just any little boy, but the spirit of John Daniel, a boy who had died a few months earlier. In fact, the cousin of one of the boys in the group. Paul. He was sitting, holding a pen and a book. All 12 boys saw the coffin sitting there. Yeah. And five of them saw the little boy. They recognised him as being John Daniel. His cousin among the boys said, oh, it's it's my cousin John Daniel wearing the same clothes as me. Because apparently they used to wear the same clothes all the School time. School uniform. Uh, let's throw stones at him. And so they pelted him with stones. And that was the end of the ghostly encounter. They all had to go outside and gather stones and then come back in and hoy him at this poor little ghost boy. Yes, I think... I, it, may, it might be that the area they were in was outside and the door led inside. I was also confused about where the stones came from. But boys being boys, it's quite possible they already had stones in their pockets. Pocket full of stones, yeah. Just in case. Pocket full of stones. Mm. Yeah, maybe a... A little toy car. Mm. Yeah, because when I was um, a kid, I would have had like action figures. Some string. In my pockets. Yeah. But I guess in these days, they wouldn't have had action figures. All they would have had to play with is stones. So you just you would just have a pocket full of stones. Stones, twigs, mud. Mm. That was all. They didn't have yeah. toys in those days. And the, the kids were, and this is a quote, all magisterially examined by Colonel Broadrep, mm. which is a nice name. All 12 boys described the coffin looking exactly the same. A, a coffin. Oh, the five who saw the boy described him as looking the same. But one child, mm. the oldest among the group, and, and a sort of sober, mm-hmm. sensible kid, not to imply that the other kids were drunk. There's no <laughs> evidence for that. He described seeing a white rag wrapped around the boy's hand. Mm. What's interesting about this is they found that the, the woman who had interred the little boy when he had died uh, a few months earlier, uh, I should say... John Daniel was found dead in a field, and uh, because he suffered from fits, he was believed to have died from a fit. The woman who interred him had found a white cloth wrapped around his hand because he had he'd injured himself, and so she removed that white cloth, which the other kid oh. had seen, James. He saw it, and it was there. Oh. And based on this evidence, the body was disinterred and re-examined, and an inquest was held, and it was found that John Daniel had been murdered and <gasps> strangled to death. Oh, dear. Yeah. He revealed his own murder. Yeah. 
child detective from beyond the grave. Well, it's not really a detective if you're the one that's being murdered. Sorry, to, to ruin your new TV series <laughs> before it's even been pitched. You knew I'd worked on the jingle. Yeah. You knew I'd prepared the jingle. Yeah. Child detective from beyond the grave. He's got a bit of cloth around his hands. But maybe that's this is just episode one where he solves his own murder yeah. and then from then he goes on. He solves his own murder. He solves other murders. He gets pelted with stones wherever he goes. Yeah, every episode has a hilarious scene where he gets with stones. What's his sidekick? The coffin? No, Colonel Broadrip. Oh, right, okay. But yeah, they would drive can... in a car shaped like a coffin. Yes, of course. That's That makes perfect sense. I'm glad that story of child murder didn't upset you too much because it's going to get worse later in the podcast. Oh, gosh. But the next one is quite light. Good. So that one was, uh, that was Beeminster, the uh, famous bee church of Dorset. The next one takes place in L- Launston or Lance- Lanston Grammar School in Cornwall. Is that L-A-U? It's L-A-U-N-C-S-T-O-N. Oh, yes. I think it's pronounced Lanston locally, but I'm from the north and refuse to pronounce it like that. You're from near Newcastle? <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why would you say that? So, Launston Grammar School, Cornwall. This took place in the 17th century. A 16-year-old schoolboy named Bly had become unaccountably dejected, which is not... You know, you know the type, mm. the emo hair, the sort of mm. the moping about with mm. ripped jeans and they're sitting on the bridge. Yeah. And they're going, oh, stupid, isn't big it? Big trench coat on and big boots. Exactly. So this little goth was having a miserable time. And the the Reverend John Ruddle, who I see is wearing like a sort of uh, a kind of rainbow waistcoat and being like a, a cool vicar. Rev Ruddle. <laughs> Rev Ruddle. He sat him down, presumably with the chair backwards in the cool teacher mode. Yeah. A la... Oh, what's the name of the film that that Gangster's Paradise song was in? It's so synonymous with Gangster's Paradise. You think the film is called Gangster's Paradise. I'm going to look it up. Yeah, look it up. Grease 2? No. <laughs> uh, Dangerous Minds. Lonston Grammar School was a gangster's paradise in a way. Mm. Young Bly basically explained what was happening. Almost every day, every morning and every evening on his way to school, he had to walk through a field. And in that field, he saw the same ghost. It was a woman he had known who had died eight years ago. She was following him every single time he went through this field. So Ruddle thought, I'm not having this. I'll come with you and we'll see if anything happens. And so he went He went with him. He joined him on the 17th of July, 1665. And I just want you to notice, I'm giving you the specific dates that these ghosts appeared, James. Yeah, these are real, real actual dates. The actual date. They're all summertime ghosts so far. Summer ghosts. Summer haunting. <laughs> Left me aghast. So what do you reckon? Do you reckon Ruddle saw the ghost? The Revy Ruddle. Red Ruddle? Red Ruddle, yellow Ruddle. Um, <laughs> do you reckon Roland Riveron saw the ghost? <laughs> Uh, the River Ribble. Um, <laughs> Do you reckon Rebel Rebel, David Bowie song, saw the ghost? Do you reckon a packet of revels? Ah, <laughs> uh, no, because he's a vicar. Although he's pretty cool, he's still got the power of Jesus in him, and that's going to have frighted that ghost away. He does have the power of Jesus in him, but perhaps you overestimate God's power here on earth because there are other powers. And in fact, he does see the ghost. <gasps> They both walk through the field and they see the the ghost moving towards them. Actually, they don't call it a ghost. They call it a spectrum, Mm. which to someone of my age and nationality is difficult because that's basically like call it an Xbox or a PlayStation or a Commodore 64. Yeah. So this GameCube. (laughs) This Sega Saturn came towards them, uh, gliding like a Game Gear. (laughs) 
uh, like a child on ice. It says it didn't didn't walk with steps; it, it glided. So, in case you were thinking maybe this was just an, an odd woman who was in the vicinity who happened to look like the woman who had died, it was gliding towards them. Mm. It glided towards them, went right past them, and then went over a stile. And they both ran to the stile, climbed onto the hedge to see. Completely, completely gone. He says, I do aver that the swiftest horse in England could not have conveyed himself out of sight in that short space of time. Not even on, on ice. He also noticed that a, a spaniel dog which had joined the company barked and ran away as the spectrum passed by. Ingram goes on to say, This ocular evidence clearly convinced, but withal strangely affrighted, the old gentleman and his wife. They knew the woman. And this is the interesting thing. They recognised the woman who had died eight years ago. Her name was Dorothy Durant in her lifetime. They were at her burial and now plainly saw her features in this apparition. Mm-hmm. So Ruddle was affrighted. Uh, he hadn't managed to talk to the Spectrum, which is what he wanted. But you were right. He is a man of God. He's got the special God powers. Mm-hmm. He's got a psychomantium skeleton. So he went back. He went back in the morning, tried to talk to her. She vanished. And so he came back in the evening and he saw her. And they had about a 15-minute chat, after which she vanished and was never seen again. Oh, what did they talk about? And he does not reveal the content of that chat. What? Yeah, it's kind of annoying, isn't it? Yeah. That's yep. I I like the touch of her like being like she was on the ice skates, but I'm a bit more interested in what she had to say. Well, being a, it was probably like the Konami code. It was probably just sort of left, right, left, right, up, down, A, B, start, <laughs> boom, she's gone. Did it affect his life? Did did life did get any better? I don't have any more information about what happened to Young Bly after that. I'm afraid. What about Rev Rubble? Uh, it just went on tour. <laughs> no, it did. I I don't know. The story the story finishes there. I've got no more information. What? Post Ghost. I've got no, I've got no follow-up info on them. Ah, I'd, I'd love to a bit of fly on the wall, a little yapping spaniel, or a horse on ice skates. Um, it sounds fairly convincing, doesn't it? Yeah, it's got a lot of detail in it, but not the detail of what did the vicar talk to the ghost about. Yeah, I, mm. uh, I've got a third story that connects to schoolboys. So this one doesn't take place in a school, mm-hmm. but I have to sort of do a bit of a content warning before this one because a few episodes ago I did Yorkshire's Atlantis, mm-hmm. and now I intend to bring you Yorkshire's. The Shining. T-Shining? <laughs> that was a long pause while I waited for you to say T-Shining. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is Yorkshire's T-Shining. Here's Johnny. So this is not going to be like one of those podcasts where nice ladies talk about horrible murders, but it is a bit nastier than the previous two. So if uh, yeah. if a child revealing his own strangulation was a bit much for you, you probably don't want to hear the next one. Oh, gosh. If, on the other hand, you're not bothered about children... Let's go. So, uh, we're in Yorkshire now, mm. uh, in a place called Calverley, where a man called Walter Calverley, known popularly as Sir Walter, was a spendthrift who hated his wife, who was, by all accounts, very nice. He was a Catholic, so we, we were off to a bad start mm. at this time, which was around 1604. Mm-hmm. On the, get this, 23rd of April, mm. specific day. Wow. He found out that a member of wow. his family had been arrested for a debt that he himself had incurred, and he went off the deep end. He went into, as the book says, a fit of insane frenzy of jealousy. I'm not sure if that makes sense. He went into an insane frenzy of jealousy when he realised that he had, quote, completely beggared himself. <laughs> which I think means ran out of money and got head over ears into debt. And he basically flipped out. He rushed madly into his house, snatched up both of his children and plunged a dagger into them. Oi! Yeah, which is frowned upon. Yes! I'm no entrepreneur, <laughs> but I think even the most, even the even even Deborah Meaden or whatever the American equivalent is of Dragon's Den or Shark Tank, I believe it's known. Yep. Even though you should not let a shark drive a tank. No, definitely. It's not appropriate. You'd have to fill it with water for starters. 
It's going to affect the machinery. <laughs> that's not that's not the sound business plan. It's awful, mm. and it's not going to it's not going to deal with the debt at all. He tried to stab their mother, um, but her a steel corset she was wearing because luckily in those days people wore metal clothes protected her and saved her life. Uh, but he did push her down the stairs. Oh, and in that case, the steel corset is not going to help. It's making things worse. Yeah, thinking he'd killed her. He then ran off to kill his third child, Henry, who was, quote, a brat at nurse who was being nursed over in the village of Norton. Luckily, he was pursued by some villagers. And it's rare that villagers as a group are the heroes in a story, but on this occasion they were. They chased him down. Yeah. And his, in fact, his own horse saved the day by falling and trapping him underneath it. Ugh. And he was captured and taken to York Castle, uh, which is, I think, what we would now call Clifford's Tower, if you know York. Nope. It's a little circular sort of castle. It's quite nice. Uh, where he was pressed to death. Oh. Which sounds fun, but I think wasn't. Mm. I think it's they put a door on you and then pile rocks onto yeah. the door. Uh, he may also have been castrated first. Aye. No sympathy for that guy. No, but all this violence is very random. Uh, yeah. It's, and seems unrelated to the cause. It's very disturbing. It was. It made the news. There were two plays written about it. There was The Miseries of Enforced Marriage, 1607, by George Willikins. Willikins? He was... Uh, he, oh, no, it just says Willikins. I've just added a little flourish to the name. George Willikins? He was a, a brothel keeper and businessman, and he published the story. And then some people complained because they didn't like it. And so he changed the ending to make it a comedy. And I don't know how. Is that where the castration came in? <laughs> because... <laughs> it begins with a double child stabbing. So I don't know how... How fun can the ending be to make it a comedy? Yeah, how did the horse trip over, maybe? Really <laughs> slapstick chase at the end. I just don't, <laughs> I don't know how you could make that a comedy. It was also published, the same story, as the Yorkshire Tragedy, mm. which was at the time attributed to none other than um, William Shakespeare. Yeah? You've oh, heard of yeah. Him? I've heard yeah. of him. Yeah. One of the other famous shakes. Yeah. Uh, you and him. I think he signed his name as Shakeshaft uh, when he visited the North Oh, yeah? Mm. mm. Yeah. Probably wasn't written by Shakespeare. It's probably it's now attributed to Tom Middleton. Didn't he marry Prince William? <laughs> <laughs> this plays a bit odd because they're all quite concerned with um, kind of exonerating him at the end, forgiving him in some way. What? So at the end, the wife says to him, because you, you know how it is in these plays, people can be dying for about forty-five minutes. Yeah. yeah so there's like there's a long conversation with him. It's like he's being crushed with stones. I don't think he's going to be saying that much. But his wife says to him. You have been still unkind to me, which I think is a very mild way of putting it. Yeah. And he replies, <clears throat> Faith, and so I think I have. I did my murthers roughly out of hand, desperate and sudden, but thou hast devised a fine way now to kill me. Thou hast given mine eyes seven wounds apiece. Now glides the devil from me, departs at every joint, heaves up my nails. Let him not rise to make men act unnatural tragedies to spread into a father, and in fury make him his children's executioners, murder his wife, his servants, and who not? Yeah. I don't think it was the devil, did it? I don't think he can blame the devil. No. Not for this one, mate. Especially since that's not what he said. They've got a record of what he said while he was being squashed, which was, a punder more weight, lig on, lig on. Oh. Begging people to put more weight on so he would die faster. Ah, uh, okay. Which is not quite the same thing as sort of apologising and saying it was the devil. He said, a punder more weight, lig on, lig on. And his old servant complied with his request and jumped on to help him die faster. What do you think happened to the servant? Oh, probably got his <laughs> cut off or something. Um, <laughs> he was hanged. Oh. Yeah. I don't understand how that's a crime. If he's 
being murdered anyway. How is it a crime? Ay, ay, ay. I can't follow the logic of any of the violence in this. It's like a Quentin Tarantino film. Yeah. It's horrible. Yeah. We've got eyeballs being given seven wounds each. How can you get seven wounds into an eye? A, a very small knife. Or a cluster knife. I see the servant as being the Scatman Crothers of the story, by the way, because he just appears at the last minute and then just dies. Yeah. Really annoyingly randomly. Uh, so he was buried in St. Mary's Church on Castlegate in York. Still mm. there. You can go and see it. Mm. But the body is not. What? That's what they say. The legend says he was secretly disinterred and had his body taken back to Calvary. Hence, ghosts. So he is now said to charge about on a headless horse through the woods, followed by several spectral horsemen who are said to sweep up unwary passers-by. They charge about from Calvary all the way through the woods into, into a cave causing all kinds of uh, trouble, uh, to the extent that the vicar of Calvary Church had to try and exercise the bogey, as they called it, mm. uh, and, and apparently succeeded for a time. The legend said that Sir Walter would not appear again as long as hollies grew green in Calvary Wood. And in 1890, hollies did still grow green in that wood. Good. But Calvary did not stay quiet forever. Oh. Are you familiar with the phrase, I wouldn't kick him out of bed? Uh, yes. Well, that is not how the ghost felt about the Reverend Richard Birdsall, who uh, was staying in a certain house in Yorkshire and was physically thrown out of bed three times in a single night, flung right out of the bed, ah. and checked above it and below it and couldn't, couldn't find anything causing him to have been flung out of bed. And then afterwards, the next morning, discovered that the house he was staying in was none other than the house of the notorious Calvary. <sighs> So he assumes it was that guy because it was a random, unrelated bit of violence. Yes, it, random violence. In 1872, everyone in Calvary was woken up by the church bell tolling in the middle of the night. Uh, and they all panicked and ran round to try and find out what it was. But as soon as the key rattled in the lock of the church, it stopped. Mm? Random noise and violence. Mm -hmm. That's yep. Calvary's style. <clears throat> he goes on to say, Although such supposed direct manifestations of Walter Calvary's ghostly powers have not been repeated of late, certain weird signs of the tragedy are, it is still said, visible. Stains of blood. Irremovable stains are yet to be seen on the floor, and there is always a flag, one particular flag in the cellar, which always has a mysterious damp place on it. All the other flags are dry, save this. Wise men have tried, says the person writing about it, Mr. Scruton, to account for this, but as yet have signally failed. Here it is, plain to be seen, and what one sees one can believe. Mm. You sound sceptical. Yes. A wet stone in a cellar? Explain that. A bit, probably a burst pipe. Ghost pipe? Yeah, maybe. Random violence? Yep. Explain that. I don't think I can explain anything to do with this Calvary chap. It's, it's absolutely incredibly mysterious. I can explain one thing, which is why I've included him in a collection of schoolboy ghost stories. Mm -hmm. Because in the 1830s, a group of schoolboys, having heard all of these tales, decided they were going to conjure the ghost of Calvary. Mm -hmm. So they went to the went to Calvary Church and they put all their hats and caps on the ground in the form of a pyramid. Mm. They took hold of each other's hands and formed a magic circle and they cast onto the ground a mixture, and this is very strange, a mixture of bread and what do you think the other thing is that they're going to mix together to make it magical? Uh, stones? It's not. It's another thing that a boy could have in his pocket though. Uh... Oh, um, bubblegum? No, something that existed in the 1830s. Uh, card? Bits of card? Fluff? Pocket fluff? Pins. Pins. It was pins. Yeah, isn't that weird? Bread and pins. Bread and pins. They scattered bread and pins all over the ground. Yeah. They formed a magic circle and they tramped around the circle and they chanted the magical chant, which was, Old Calvary, Old Calvary, I have thee by the ears. I'll cut thee into collops <gasps> unless thee appears. Do you hear the collop klaxon going there? Mm -hmm. 
Collapse. Collapse. Is that? It's like a big wind-up airway siren that says collapse. Yes. Of course. Uh, it says that some of the more venturesome boys had to go round to each of the church doors and whistle aloud through the keyholes and repeat the magical couplet. And what happened? I'll tell you what happened. I'll read directly from the book. At this culminating point, a pale and ghostly figure was expected to appear. And on one occasion, some such apparition does seem to have issued forth, apparently from the church. The lads, in their terrified haste to avoid the ghost's fearful grasp, scampered off as fast as the legs could carry them, leaving their hats and caps scattered about the ground as legitimate spoil for old Calvary. Ooh. So you got to keep all the caps and the pins. <laughs> yeah, they, they don't mention getting the pins, so and the crumbs as well. So that's nice. That's too spooky. Too spooky? It's very spooky. It's confusing. Those are my three tales from the haunted houses of Great Britain. And, f- and family weirdness. Odd, strange things from the past, but with very specific dates. Great date work, mm. Ingram. What a lovely triptych Oh, of schoolboy errors. I forgot. I meant oh. to introduce it as a cryptic triptych. We got there in the end. Yeah. Are you ready to score the Haunted Houses of Great Britain? First category mm-hmm. is names. Oh, okay. There were quite a lot, I'll give you. There were a lot. There was definitely a very fun one. Revy Rubble. Yes, Reverend John Rev- Ruddle. Revy Ruddle. We've got the Psychomantium. That's a good name for a thing. Yes. We've got Ghostland. Uh, it's not as good as Ghost World. Not as good as Ghost World, no. Or Ghostland Paris. That's the worst. I'd say I'm going to go for a three. Scatman Crothers. D- Scatman Crothers. Got that in there? The idea of Scatman Carruthers is very good. Was Scatman his given name or was that his... No, I I looked it up before the episode because I was thinking that would be odd when it... To name a child Scatman would be odd and it's not, it's not his given name. Oh, it's a, it's, a, it's a sort of a title bestowed upon him. It's right. it's a stage name, yeah. So when he... When Scatman Carruthers died, was a new Scatman crowned. <laughs> Like Giles from Buffy had to go and find the next Scatman. The Scatman is dead. Long live the Scatman. <laughs> and his sidekick, Scatboy. That is not a good nickname. Doesn't have a good ring to it. <laughs> uh, Scat Lad. <laughs> uh, uh, very appropriate for uh, Yorkshire, but I don't know. <laughs> I'm not on board with Scat Lad. What? Beeminster. Beeminster. Endorse it. The demon of Tedworth. The demon of Tedworth. Okay, I was going to go three, but I'm going to go four. All right, thank you. I'm glad. You reminded me about the extra ones, and I had a lot of fun with the Reverend Ruddle. Brilliant. Mm. Next category, mm-hmm. supernatural. Oh, hello. Yep. <sighs> Pretty much everything turned to dust there. Can't move for ghosts. No. Yeah, you got. It's thick with ghosts. You've got child ghosts that become detectives. In the afterlife, child detective solving crimes. And crime. you've got you've got blowing ghosts on ice in the second story. Yep, slidey yeah. PlayStation Four ghosts, PlayStation Five, whatever the new one is called. And then just an incredibly violent ghost at the end. Yeah, horrible violence. That steals caps and pins. Well, I go, I've got to go. I've got to go with a five. That is one of the most ghost-rich tales I've heard yep, for a very thank long you. time. That is the most. Supernatural. I have, I have noticed basically you don't give any points unless there's a ghost. So I thought, I'll make you smoke a whole pack of ghosts. <laughs> I'm loving it. <laughs> I'm going to go out and buy a ghost pipe. All right. Uh, next category. Mm-hmm. Ghosts are real. Wait a minute. Because, I mean, look at the evidence here. Look, I've got you specific dates that authoritative men, but, vicars, anyone could, saw the ghosts any, and had up to 15 minute long conversations. Tell me what happened in that conversation if ghosts is real. 
What happens when they're not in the field? How do they get to the field? Do they have to commute? <laughs> That's between Dorothy Durrant and old Roland Riveron. How come? How? How do? How do coffins have ghosts? We've done nearly fifty episodes of this, James. How can you have a ghost of a coffin? Have we ever had a ghost that, coffin before? I don't think we've ever had a wooden I ghost. I think that is the yeah no that is the most inanimate ghost. They even described the hinges of the coffin looking the same well. as the actual coffin. It was confirmed. Well, as we both know, coffin hinges have a wide variety of designs, <laughs> <laughs> and you, and they're like fingerprints. None, no one set of coffin hinges could be mistaken for another. That's just a fact. It's just a coffin fact. Presumably these children had been at the funeral, so they've already seen the coffin. I mean, yeah, it is possible. One of them was his cousin, so it's possible he had been at the funeral, yeah. Mm. I think you've double scored on Supernatural, and then you, you get me again with, it turns out ghosts actually are existing and aren't Supernatural. Can I go back and change the past points? No, you, but you could be forced to relive it forever. Oh. As a ghost. Ah, well, if you're not going to believe a vicar, some school kids and a woman who wears a stab-proof vest around the house, <laughs> who are you going to believe? Yeah, are you telling me children or religious people could lie, James? <laughs> are, you, are you considering that to be an option? It turns out ghosts are real. Five out of five. Yes, ghosts are real. Thank you. Mm. Brilliant. Okay. Final category, pulling a shake shaft. Oh, because it was a wonderfully entertaining story and everyone had a really good, nice time. <laughs> no. Some children did get murdered. Yes, not everybody had a nice time. Someone was stabbed and pushed mm. down the stairs. Yep, 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 yep. yep what yep. I mean by pulling a shake shaft is I, I deliberately strung together three stories that were not in any way connected because they all had ghosts in them mm -hmm. because I knew you would think they were spooky and give me five points. Mm. But then you managed to double them five into ten. And I double those five into ten by manipulating the game in my favour in, in a classic Shake Shaft style. Hmm. And now I'm revealing my plot to you, like at the end of a, a mystery. Colum no, Columbo famously did it at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Columb <sighs> Ghost does not work. Ghost Lumbo. <laughs> Columbo. <laughs> Scary Ghost Columbo. I guess that's, that's Scooby-Doo really, isn't it? Mm, ghost yeah. Columbo. <laughs> Did they ever find out where Scooby-Doo was in that song? Or does it remain unclear? Oh, yeah, I don't know. Scooby-Dooby-Doo. Where are you? Where was he? I don't know any more of the lyrics, to be honest. No. For all I know, it could go, Scooby-Doo, where are you? Are you over there? Yep. Oh, there he is. Eating all the Scooby snacks. Uh, okay, then. Pull in a shake shaft. I'm going to give you five points. Are you? Right now. What? But look at them five points. Mm-hmm. I am. They've turned to dust. <laughs> and pins. What am I being hoisted by? Is it my own petard? Mm, big time. Don't even know why I brought a petard. <laughs> what is a petard? It's a type of bomb, I think. I always imagined it as a pointy stick, but I think you're right, it's a bomb. But I don't... Being hoisted by a bomb... Hoist, in this case, means being blown up by. Mm. So do I not get five points? Am I getting zero points? Oh, you think you get five points, but yeah, as soon as uh, sunlight falls on them, they turn to dust. Oh, no. Oh, that's going to make it very difficult to enter this into the ledger. You could try and take a picture of those five points, but... Oh, it didn't come out on the film, James. No. It's, oh, there's orbs. When you get... It's full of orbs. It's blurry. When you get them pictures back from Boots in a week, it's going to have a little sticker on it saying, no, too many ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> Too many ghosts. Yeah. That should have been a category. Too many ghosts. Slapstick ghosts could have been a category. Yeah, there was quite a lot of um, 
Hilarious violence. The ghost kid being bullied beyond the grave seems harsh. It does seem harsh, yeah. Uh, But the ghost on ice, I liked. (laughs) Also, I like the idea that that 15-minute conversation happened whilst she was shooting past (laughs) on her ghostly roller skates. So I was just trying to say, if you have any unfinished business, then just let me know what it is and I can try and set you to rest in some way. Boo. Boo. Maybe that's what's happening with the the Doppler effect. Yeah, just blooming Doppler. Pretty spooky, eh, James? Oh, wonderfully spooky. I do need to warn you about the, the shake shaft points, though. Yeah? They will reappear every full moon. That's a relief. And uh, probably don't bury them if you don't have enough room for a giant beanstalk. Mm. I think that's great advice. If you enjoy listening to Lawmen, which is me, Alistair Becky king And me, James Shakeshaft. Then why not join us next Tuesday, a.k.a. the 14th of July, for a celebratory 50th episode live stream at twitch.tv forward slash lawmenpod. Ooh. I'm thinking of auditioning for the role of Colonel Broadrep in the Ghost Detectives show. Really? Oh, Ghost Detectives, they're throwing stones at us. What do you think? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're the creator of the show, do you still have to audition? Yeah, that says something about my self-esteem there, doesn't it? Can I be the cousin, Paul Daniels? Paul Daniels? Yeah. <laughs> I totally didn't notice that you called him Paul Daniels in the recording and only listening back. <laughs> Did I discover that you said Paul Daniels? (laughs) Yeah, you could play Paul Daniels. Ted started podcasting. Your son has started podcasting? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, my son started podcasting. Has he got more listeners than us? Yeah, (laughs) I've listened to it and (laughs) we've sent it around the whole family. So I think he's... He's getting more penetration amongst that group than I am. Yeah, quite a lot of engagement by the sounds of it. Big time, yeah. Mm. His teachers sending it to his teachers. They're responding with comments. What's the subject? What's his angle? Dinosaurs. That's good. It's a good podcast about dinosaurs. He's got his own catchphrase. It's, it is it's really good. What's the catchphrase? What does it you say? Love the podcast, Bap. Love the podcast, Bap. <laughs> Love the podcast, Bap. Love the podcast, Bap. <laughs>